Welcome to today's episode of the Western Standards Alberta Report, where we look at the late-breaking news as Albertans get ready to vote on May the 29th. Today is Tuesday, May the 9th. Welcome to the show. With me today to talk about politics in Alberta are our news editor, Dave Naylor. Morning, Nigel. You sure it's the 9th now? And... uh, And with me also, Sean Pulser, our business reporter. And we'll be calling in young Jonathan Bradley, our reporter at large, our reporter on the NDP, as we like to like to tease him in the office. But first, Dave, what is going on today? Today, uh, Daniel Smith just wrapped up a press conference uh, launching the UCP's uh, crime and, and safety. And it's uh, it's fairly ambitious, to say the least. Uh, they vow to put uh, ankle bracelets on uh, dangerous people uh, that are that get bail, and we all know that once you get bail, then you start going to more dangerous crimes. It seems these days they're going to uh, bring in more sheriffs to follow these people, uh, 100 more police officers on the street. They're going to make uh, specific anti-fentanyl teams uh, to go after the drug uh, flowing across the border, uh, mainly from the United States. Uh, they're going to go after gu- or they're going to set up uh, gun trafficking teams uh, to go after the uh, the guns that are uh, stolen and end up in the the hands of uh, the bad guys. They're throwing more money into child exploitation teams, more money into gang suppression teams, and uh, they're going to make uh, sex offenders uh, easy to locate uh, for people, uh, kind of like the uh, uh, the high risk warnings that the, the police put out. Uh, they're going to put them out on. Uh, uh, sex offenders, so the parents can keep an eye out uh, in their neighborhoods uh, for these guys. They're also promising uh, more money for women's shelters uh, and more money for sexual assault counseling. And uh, one thing uh, the uh, Premier Smith did vow was there will never ever be a safe supply of drugs uh, as long as they're in charge. What, what is her line? There's something there is no safe supply of. There is no safe supply, and, uh, and, and you know, she pointed out to uh, uh, cities like Portland, cities uh, uh, mm. in the United States, San Francisco, which are, are quickly becoming, uh, uh, you know, zombie apocalypse zones uh, in some areas. Yeah, I would have been impolite to point to Vancouver, where the East Side also shares many of those sad characteristics. It does. Uh, their public safety minister, Mike Ellis, uh, former Calgary policeman for 10 years, uh, basically told people, don't go there, it's too dangerous. Yes. Sean, that seems like a pretty uh, hard approach to dealing with crime. Do you think they can actually make it work? Well, like, it's, I would it's say definitely it, very ambitious. Yeah. And yes, I've spent some time in uh, up and down California and Portland and those kind of places. Uh, I have an uncle that lives in San Francisco. And uh, you're absolutely right. Like, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful city, but uh, it, it is the, the downtown is almost completely overrun. It's almost uninhabitable, really, and uh, which is a shame. And I, and I think that you can attribute it to some of those, uh, I guess we want to call them the left coast, you know, social policies that uh, I think have kind of let them down. Uh, some of the policies I think are well-meaning, but, uh, you know, this sounds like a little bit of tough love, a little bit of, uh, mm-hmm. You know, some practical measures combined with uh, some steps to try to get people into treatment. And I, I think, Nigel, one more point. There'll be more more to come uh, from the UCP on the uh, involuntary drug treatment plan. Uh, our sources say that 
could be coming to uh, to a head in the next couple of days. I think our friend Corey Morgan, our friend and colleague, who wrote an excellent article saying, you know, whenever you use the word involuntary, it doesn't sound good. But just leaving people to suffer and die in their own in in, in their own uh, addiction, that's not kind either. So, uh, well, we'll hmm. see what she does. As with. you said, tough love. Tough love. For me, you know, the, the, the litmus test of all of this stuff is where it hits most people. When are we going to feel confident that we can have an uninterrupted ride on the C train or the Edmonton uh, transit service from one end of the city to the other without having to watch somebody throwing up, shooting up, you know, that, when they have fixed that, I think they will have fixed the problem to most people's satisfaction. How say you? Uh, Agreed. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the the downtown cores in both cities now are no-go zones for most people, uh, certainly for, for women who may want to go by themselves. Uh, it's, you know, especially around our building in downtown Calgary, we have, we keep Narcan kits in the office because we're sort of in the center of it and coming in and out. There, there's, there's usually somebody using. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know what, it's going to take going to take a lot of effort because there's a lot of people that are, are suffering from these addictions. I will say the effort has started. I had occasion, actually it was that famous occasion when I went to meet uh, Miss Notley, and I actually decided to walk rather than take the C-train, and there was a squad car, police car, on every block along the C-train loop. They were obviously very aware of what the problem was, and they were trying to keep a lid on it. So, so far, so good. They had another big announcement. The NDP made a big announcement uh, this morning as well. I want to call in Jonathan Bradley. Jonathan uh, took notes on this. And uh, Jonathan, what was the announcement? So the announcement was Alberta NDP leader Rachel Notley has vowed to set up the Leftbridge Teaching Clinic to serve Southern Alberta families with healthcare needs if elected premier. And she spoke about how healthcare is a large issue in Lethbridge because even though it is, I believe, the fourth largest city in Alberta, there are a number of people who have to go elsewhere to obtain healthcare, particularly when it comes to uh, childbirth, where they often have to drive to Calgary to give birth. So Notley said that uh, this Lethbridge teaching clinic would bring seven new medical students and 20 family medicine residents to increase healthcare access for families. Um, and he spoke about how it would have a family health team consisting of doctors, nurses, allied health professionals, and medics care. You, you mentioned a couple of numbers there, Jonathan. So really, how many people are going to teach? How many people are going to learn? How many people are going to graduate in the course of 12 months? Was, did she give any of those kinds of details as to what impact this would have? So the Leftbridge Teaching Clinic would bring seven new medical students and 20 family medicine residents to the area to increase healthcare access. And yes. this is supposed to help with uh, the shortages of doctors in Leftbridge because there's about 40,000 Leftbridge residents who are without a family physician. Well, I think, uh, I, I think the shortage of doctors is going to be more general as the, as the year goes by. There's an awful lot of people in the medical profession who are approaching the age of 65, or yes. approaching the age at any rate that they want to they want to stop working maybe before 65 so uh, what else have what else have you been uh, covering for racial notley well i went to uh, an announcement yesterday about seniors where racial notley spoke how she would be investing uh more money into home care to allow more seniors to, just to allow twenty thousand seniors to stay in their homes 
as she said, this is about a $100 million increase compared to budget 2023. And she spoke as well about other measures that she would be taking. She'd be making the shingles vaccine free for all eligible seniors, and she'd be expanding housing uh, in communal and in individual settings to allow uh, to provide seniors with choice. Now, I think you tried to ask her a question. What, yes. what was the question that you wanted to, to hear the answer to? So I was going to ask a question, a follow-up, and the question I wanted to ask was about uh, her opinion on the military being called in to manage the wildfires. And then a follow-up I was going to ask was about uh, Alberta NDP candidate Drew Farrell, and she's running in Calgary Bow, about her facing a lawsuit and Notley's lawsuit and like the, the damages and Notley's reaction to that. Mm. And how did that go when you tried to ask a question? So I shouted up the question because we're persona non grata when it comes to questions at the Alberta NDP press conferences. And what happened was people started applauding as I was asking the questions. And then NDP press secretary Mike McKinnon got it up in my my space and said, you're not allowed to ask questions because you spread hate speech. And then I fired back by saying, what section of a criminal code do we violate? Because we haven't violated any section of a criminal code when it comes to hate speech. Uh, anything that the far left disagrees with his hate speech nowadays. And he was just like, I'm not going to argue with you on this, you know, and we, you want to, like, if your editors want to reach out and speak to us, feel free to. And then I was so annoyed with that response that I went and posted a video on Twitter. And last I checked, it's received more than 30,000 views. And there are many positive comments on the video praising me and encouraging me to do that again. It's yeah. really quite important that we show that when it comes to honest inquiry, the NDP doesn't care to uh, answer questions that aren't on aren't part of their basic message. And it should oh, of give course. As to what, what it would be like if they were ever to form government. Yep. So. And what's interesting is the press secretary for the NDP who blocked me, he's a former journalist himself, he used to work at Global News. So I was thinking in my head, like, I found this out later. I'm like, like, why would you block like, a fellow reporter from asking questions? Like, you were in that position once. And did he respond to that? No, I didn't ask him that there, but I'll uh, definitely ask him that next time. Yes, well, that's uh, life is full of compromises for some people, isn't it? Yes. That's one of the things, uh, Jonathan, at least you, you stood your ground there. and Well done. Thank you very much for joining us. Forest fires. What about it, Sean? How are we doing? Well, after the rain that we've had yesterday, uh, we seem to be doing a little better. We're, uh, there was over 100 yesterday, and uh, we're down to about 89. Um, I don't have the exact number of how many are that are out of control, but it's it's dropped uh, significantly just in 24 hours. So there's uh, a little bit of relief up there. Um, but uh, a lot of people still remain under evacuation order in Drayton Valley. Uh, some folks were allowed to go back home in Edson yesterday. And uh, we've got more oil and gas shutdowns, um, probably about 350,000 barrels a day. Well, that's three times as much as, you know, two and a half times as much as yesterday, isn't it? Um, yeah, I think it's because more companies are reporting. So there's still a couple large companies that haven't disclosed exactly how many are uh, under under uh, shut-in. But uh, the bigger issue in those areas is um, the gas processing facilities and the pipelines. Mm -hmm. So... Um, uh, Pemina Pipeline uh, reopened up uh, a 20-inch line from Fox Creek up to Edmonton yesterday that would be probably oil and gas liquids. So uh, that's a promising sign. On the downside, uh, the weather is expected to get hot again on summer, so they're uh, looking for 27 degrees in Grand Prairie on 
Friday. So uh, there's a good chance that these conditions could spark up again. So that controlled burn that our colleague uh, Linda Slobodium was writing about uh, out near Banff, uh, I think that under control now. This is, uh, I'm assuming so. When you look on the map, there's a kind of a little flame thing. Yeah, <laughs> you okay. know the Banff yeah. is it, under it, fire warning. It, it was listed as under control on Sunday. All right. Well, that's... The, uh, the, the other big news yesterday for uh, people affected by the fires was uh, Premier Smith announcing uh, uh, financial aid. Uh, if you've been displaced uh, for, for seven days mm -hmm. and you're a family of four, uh, you're eligible for $3,500. And uh, you know, the uh, government is working to get, uh, to get you that money fast. So, Well, that's good. Probably much needed. Anything else from the NDP that we... Um... I think that I think that was uh, the whole of their campaign, wasn't it? Yeah, it was seniors and teachers, and uh, uh, yeah, I think that was it. They got more stuff planned today. Yeah, I, I, tonight. actually, that's not the whole of their campaign because they resurrected and, in my opinion, took out of context a clip from Danielle Smith where she was, I'll use the word, philosophizing on a on a podcast hosted by a financial organization. And it was an hour and a half conversation with a, with a lot of different subjects covered. But um, what did she say? And, and what, uh, what did the NDP do with that? Well, she was talking, this was, keep in mind, the height of the COVID pandemic. Yes. And, so uh, this, this was in October 21, wasn't it? October 2021. And uh, <clears throat> she, she was muted. What, what the NDP made it seem like was that she was musing that people who uh, went and got vaccinated were no different than the people who followed Adolf Hitler, yeah. and, uh, and and of course that that sent the NDP into uh, all sorts of uh, uh, excitement, and you know they were throwing around Nazis and and the the Nazi word and and all that sort of stuff. And the other thing in the in there that uh, caused some concern was uh, uh, Smith saying that because of all the, the the pandemic stuff and the pandemic politicians. She didn't want to wear a poppy that year. She didn't felt she felt that it wasn't the right time. Yeah. So, I know you've got a different take on it, Nigel. Uh, what 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 is the real story? Well, I don't know that it's a, such a different take, but you're right. It was this whole thing was in the context of a discussion of Remembrance Day, and she mentioned to the host, "I see you're not wearing a poppy," and he said, "Well, no, I guess not." And uh, and then she said. Something to be along the general lines of um, the political leaders standing on their soapbox, pretending that they cared about all the things that you just talked about, and this was the events of the war, and pretending they understand the sacrifice, understanding their actions of the men and women in, in uniform. And she was just said it was uh, it was hard for her to watch that and and to sort of feel any sincerity there. And then she, as as um, as the premier is um, known to do, kind of expanded the thought. Uh, it was a series that was popular at the time. It's still out there on Netflix called um, How, to, How to Become a Tyrant. This is actually quite a, it, it's quite a sensible series. And it just goes through the, the manner in which people who probably love freedom in principle allow themselves to be seduced. And, you know, serious academics like Crane Brinton, the written on this for decades, uh, the stages in which uh, people can change their whole political philosophy. Uh, the, you know, the anatomy of a revolution, as it were. And so 
she went on to say that um, there are so many people who look at the suppression of their freedoms in Germany during the war and say, well, I would never have gone for that. Yes, you would. You know, at the time, it all seemed to make sense, was her argument. And in just the same way, people here in Alberta who, if you say, do you love freedom, they will all say yes. When it came down to it, they just held their wrists out for the, well, put, they bared their shoulder for the, for the injection is what it was, and accepted lockdowns and many other very restrictive measures. You weren't allowed to meet. You couldn't go and see your mother in hospital. You couldn't see your father in the old people's home. You couldn't go to their funeral when they died alone. You know, it went on and on and on. There was a tremendous degree of suffering caused by uh, measures that, uh, that turned out to be ill-advised and which some people recognize as unlikely to be useful in the first place. But there was no room for disagreement. No, if you were not vaccinated, you were a terrible person. And I, that was the general thrust of the thing. I think we all know Premier Smith well enough to say, but there is no way that she would ever say that vaccination was like the Holocaust. I mean, people don't say that sort of thing. Nor would she have said people who uh, are, are, are vaccinated are Nazis. But she did say that the, the way in which people give up their freedoms, little bit by little bit, is a well-proven political technique for getting control. I wouldn't disagree with her. So you're saying the NDP may have misled people on this? I think... Kind of they like they're misleading people when they say that we're going to have to pay for doctors and uh, uh, we're going to lose our old age pension, stuff like that. Dave, I know you find this very hard to accept that Rachel Notley and the NDP would ever mislead anybody. Oh, sacrilege. Sacrilege. Sean. Um, I didn't have a problem with the comments as much as uh, the notion that she didn't wear the poppy. And I think as a public figure, you know, it's maybe that's it, that was the thing that bothered me the most. Uh, my thoughts on the pandemic. Uh, my mother died during the pandemic. Uh, she was in Mexico and there was travel restrictions. And we my family, my sister and my brother and I, uh, we couldn't go down to uh, see her late to rest. And uh, it was extremely painful. I eventually did get back there after the travel restrictions were lifted, and it was uh, it was very emotional. But uh, my my sense on the whole pandemic thing is um, there was a lot of division, there was a lot of uh, uh, bitterness. There there were a lot of unreasonable rules. Uh, not being you know, uh, was it Joy Moss in Edmonton? You know, he died in a, in a hospital alone basically because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. restrictions that were going on. So uh, I think it was extremely hurtful. And um, there has to be a point where everybody just kind of has to move on, you know, and get over it. And, uh, you know, you've raised some good points about the restrictions and not being able to gather. You know, this happened in China. People were getting boarded up inside their apartment buildings and there were fires and, and all that kind of thing. So, you know, there is a kind of a thin edge of where authoritarianism takes over. You know, people literally... Uh, you could almost imagine that the Chinese government was using the pandemic for political purposes to kind of repress people. But at the same time, you know, legitimate public health measures. And I think that most people were in favor of what they felt were legitimate public health and safety measures. And I think if it ever happens again, and the experts say that it probably will, 
that there has to be some kind of a, a framework that's down in place so that we can respond because nobody knew how to respond to this thing when it came, right? Well, you know, you say that, but there actually was a framework. They had an emergency plan for all of this. Every province had an emergency plan, and one of them actually went to the emergency plan. They all just looked to the federal government and said, what do we do now? And they did what uh, the federal government told them to do. You know, these these uh, commandments would come out, and I, I remember thinking to myself, I wish I could be as cocksure of anything as these guys are of everything. And yet somehow or other, we ended up, and I going to wrap this up here, but the, uh, we ended up with the, the situation that uh, in BC they they kept the restaurants open and closed the churches, and in Alberta they kept the churches open and closed the restaurants. I mean, same. What happened to the bug as it came across the border? It's obviously changed its uh, changed its nature. So well, and we spent a lot of time in BC that summer. So yeah, the uh, the differences in well, at the least restrictions. You well. well, it was a little bit ridiculous. So it's <laughs> like there, like you said, there was no coordinated <clears throat> response. Which makes you wonder if there isn't a if there isn't an actual right answer on something as simple as that. Who actually knew really what they were doing? So anyway, so we can look forward to uh, your column later on today on this uh, situation. I certainly will be uh, talking about uh, Danielle Smith and the uh, the comments that are attributed to her, gentlemen. It is always a pleasure to talk politics with you. And we will do it again on Thursday. See you then. Then with, uh, actually, you won't see me because I'll be on my bike on the way to somewhere else. But oh, okay. uh, Derek will be back. Derek then. will be back. And I bet we can persuade young Jonathan to come in and keep you company. As long as he's not, you know, unless he's out harassing the NDP. Right. And he should be doing that. Yes. I'm, I'm sure they're pretty scared of him. <laughs> the mouse that roared. <laughs> Thanks very much, Sean. David. Thanks, Sarge. And ladies and gentlemen, while you're still watching, think about having a subscription to the Western Standard if you do not have one already. $10 a month. If you're not, if you're enjoying the program and you're enjoying our articles, help us keep on going by taking a subscription. We don't get any funds from the government and we never will. You're our only hope. For the Western Standard, I'm Nigel Hannaford. The current Lethbridge feed grain prices are as follows. Cash barley is down a dollar at 409. Feed wheat is down two dollars at 406. And corn is down four dollars at 395 dollars per ton. In the milling wheat markets, July Minneapolis features gained eight cents at 829, with local hardware spring bid for May movement at ten dollars forty cents per bushel. In the oil seeds nearby canola futures are down two dollars at seven hundred thirty dollars eighty cents per ton with delivered values for May movement at $16.30 per bushel. In the pulse markets, nearby red lentil prices are trading at $0.35 cents per pound, and yellow peas are holding at $11.50 per bushel. In the cattle markets, June live cattle slid $0.30 cents at $162.12.5 per hundredweight. I'm David Lee at Marketplace Commodities, accurate real-time marketing information and pricing options. Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long, long ago. These guys are on the front lines helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in Canada, and more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. To become a member, it's absolutely worth every penny.
You can become a Western Standard member for just $10 a month or $99 a year for unlimited access.